The following audio is from Community Bible Church in Nashville, Tennessee. For more information about our church, please visit us online at cbcnashville.org. This morning's scripture reading is Psalm 21. O Lord, in your strength the king rejoices, and in your salvation how greatly he exults. You have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. For you meet him with rich blessings. You set a crown of fine gold upon his head. He asked life of you. You gave it to him, length of days, forever and ever. His glory is great through your salvation. Splendor and majesty you bestow upon him. For you make him most blessed forever. You make him glad with the joy of your presence. For the king trusts in the Lord, and through the steadfast love of the Most High, he shall not be moved. Your hand will find out all your enemies. Your right hand will find out those who hate you. You will make them as a blazing oven when you appear. Lord, you will swallow them up. Lord, the Lord will swallow them up in his wrath and fire will consume them. You will destroy their descendants from the earth and their offspring from among the children of man. Though they plan evil against you, though they devise mischief, they will not succeed. For you will put them to flight. You will aim at their faces with your bows. Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. You can be seated. And if you have your Bibles with you, I'd invite you to turn to John chapter 18. If you've been with us, we've been working our way through John. And we now come to that that final day heading into the crucifixion. The, the psalm that Kevin just read, some of the last few lines, it says, though they plan evil against you, though they devise mischief, they will not succeed, for you will put them to flight. You will aim at their faces with your bows. Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. This is kind of the, the scene that we, are, that we started last week looking at a little bit more this Sunday, the devising mischief, plotting evil against Christ, against the Messiah. That's what's happening here in these trials. The, the trial that we read about a little bit last week as Jesus is before the, the Jewish authorities. And now this week as we're looking and Jesus is brought before Pilate, these are kind of shams of trials. They, they are um, trials that have been carried out, arrest has been carried out in the middle of the night, kind of under the cover of darkness, trying to hurry through. And yet our Lord is King of kings and Lord of lords, and he is subjecting himself to this. As we'll see in the story, as we see the 
Jewish authorities and the Gentile authorities going back and forth, it's so important for us to realize that Jesus, the Son of God, is standing there observing the kingdom of man and their arguments. So a few weeks ago, we, we were in the garden. Jesus, if you recall, the, the band of soldiers, the Jewish authorities come to the garden led by Judas. And Jesus doesn't run and hide, but Jesus steps forward and says, who do you seek? Jesus willingly gave himself up uh, to arrest. Even when Peter pulls his sword out, slices off the ear of the servant of the high priest, Jesus says, Peter, put your sword away. Am I not to drink from the cup that my father has prepared for me? This was the very mission that Jesus had was to go to the cross. They'd gone from the arrest to um, the, the house of uh, Annas, where Jesus was standing under trial. And as we look closely at last week, Peter, throughout that uh, tr first trial of Jesus, Peter denies Christ. He denies Christ three times. And, and last week, I didn't want to kind of leave us in the lurch of that kind of dark, depressing time of Peter denying his Lord and Savior. And we looked forward uh, at the end of the story to see how Christ lovingly and graciously brought Peter back and encouraged Peter to care for the church. Well, it's now Friday morning in the story. And Jesus is about to be brought before Pilate. And that brings us to our passage. So again, if you have your, your Bibles with you this morning, follow along with me as I read John 18, beginning with verse 28. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. And the Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, 
what is truth. Father, as we come before your word this morning, let's pray for, for strength. I pray that you would help us uh, as we strive to attentively listen to your word. Father, help us to come with, with hearts of worship. Help us to come with a sense of excitement and delight that you have given us the privilege of com coming before uh, your word and hearing from you. Father, I pray in that regard that you would help me as I am weak and fallible. I pray that you would give me uh, the words to say, words that stand in agreement with your words so that we can know that they are your words. Father, help us to understand what you say to us this morning through your word. Help us to believe it. Help, us, help it to draw us to worship you. Strengthen us through it, Father. Help us to see it as the very, the very bread, the very nourishment uh, that we long for. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in this passage, there's, there's a couple key words that stand out. And if you, if you look back through John, you see that these words not, not only stand out in this passage, but they stand out as being of great importance to John's message. The first of these words is the word world. You wouldn't think too much necessarily of the word world. But as you, as you look at uh, John's usage of this word, Compared to the rest of the New Testament writers, it's, it's far and above what the other, writers, uh, the other writers' usage of the word. John uses it 78 times in his gospel. Some of, the, some of the examples of this, he says, the true light, this is Jesus speaking, which gives light, uh, this is the beginning of the story, kind of giving us John's uh, kind of uh, story of the incarnation in chapter 1. He records the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. But he, that is Jesus, was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. If you look with me at the famous uh, passage in John chapter 3, very familiar use of the word world. John chapter 3 verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And then again in John 16, or 15 rather, Jesus says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. And then again, 
I have said these things to you that in me you may have uh, a place. In the world you have peace, but in the world you have tribulation. But take heart, Jesus says, I have overcome the world. We looked this week at the idea of, of kingdom and the two kingdoms that make up this world. Next week, as this idea of kingdom carries through, we'll look at uh, the, the principle of authority. If there's two kingdoms, then you, what authorities are there from these kingdoms? But, but the story of two worlds is nothing new. This is something that we see in kind of the foundational chapters of the entire Bible. In Genesis 3 through 11, as Adam and Eve sin, we see the foundation of these two kingdoms, these two worlds. One is, is the kingdom of the world, where as the story in Genesis unfolds, God removes Adam and Eve out of the garden. And there's this story of this eastward, eastward progression. As man is rebelling against God, they move further and further away from, from the garden from where they were supposed to enjoy that peace and fellowship and communion with their creator, they move further and further away and rebel and their wickedness increases. But then you see glimpse, glimpses in that story of the kingdom of God as, as some begin to call out upon the name of God. And there's a difference between these two kingdoms. The, king, the kingdom of the world is a kingdom that seeks to praise or worship themselves, to worship the creation, and ultimately to glorify themselves. And that's pictured for us so wonderfully in, and, or maybe so horribly in, in Genesis chapter 11 in the Tower of Babel as, as the people come together and say, let's build a tower and make a name for ourselves rather than making a name for God. The kingdom of God, though, seeks to worship God and to glorify God alone. Another key word that you've probably, you've probably heard, you might have picked up in some of the passages I just read, is the word truth. As Pilate says at the end of our passage this morning, what is truth? Again, this is a word that John uses much more frequently uh, than the other New Testament writers. But it's important for us to understand as, as John speaks about truth, and as we consider truth in this passage, it, it's so much more than just an intellectual truth. We've, we've touched on this the last several weeks. It's so much more than just a, a head knowledge the truth that John is driving home is the self-disclosure of God in his son. John 14, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. This is, this is the truth that John is declaring to us. God has revealed himself to us in his son. 
his son, Jesus Christ. He is the, he is the ultimate revelation of truth. As we think about kind of general revelation that we can look around the world and observe just by nature that there is a God that is one way that God reveals himself to us. But that general revelation falls short of being, of, of having the ability to save us. There are plenty of people who recognize that there is a God, but they are not part of God's kingdom. We are to recognize the special revelation of God and the highest and clearest revelation of God may reveal to us through Jesus Christ, his son. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. This, this works out with John's purpose statement that we've looked, looked at throughout this uh, gospel. John, I, I, again, I love that John gives us a purpose statement. It's not at the beginning, you have to find it at the end, but he says in John 20, verse 31, these are written, all these signs, all the works that Jesus had done, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's the truth that John wants to make clear in this gospel that he has written for us, the truth of who Christ is. Jesus came into the world, yet the world did not know him. The light of truth, the light of truth came and the world rejected the truth for a lie. Look with me at Romans 1. This is a familiar passage probably to you. Romans 1, as we, as we see in detail, Paul saying, this is the, this is the heart of man and, and all of its sinfulness and all, and all of its wretchedness. This is the heart of man since the fall and its rebellion against God. And beginning with verse 18, Paul writes, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine, uh, I'm sorry, back to verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so they are without excuse. For all they, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who was blessed forever. Amen. That is 
one of the clearest definitions of the kingdom of the world, the kingdom of man. In their rebellion, in our rebellion against God, we suppress the truth. We look around us and we know God is there. We know he exists. And then God gives us his word. He gives us his, his son and we rebel against him. We suppress the truth. We exchange the truth for a lie. The, the very son of God is manifested to us. And as we see in the characters of our story today, the truth is suppressed. So the kingdom of the world seeks its own worship and glory. The kingdom of God seeks to worship and glorify God alone. So how... How does this play out? How do we see this in today's passage? Let me reread verse 28. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover. That single verse right there speaks volumes to the heart of the men the Jewish authorities who are bringing Jesus before the now Gentile authorities, before Pilate. That's one of the signs of the kingdom of man, the kingdom of the world, is our self-righteousness. Here is a group of zealous, zealous men for the law of God. And they're bringing Jesus to the, Rome, to the Roman governor to, to bring the charges against him. And, and they're hoping for a conviction so that he can be crucified. But they recognize that to, in order to enjoy con, their continuing involvement in the feasts of the Passover, they can't go into the Gentile headquarters, otherwise they'd be unclean. And then they wouldn't be able to enjoy the feasts. They don't want to defile themselves. And yet they are bringing the son of God and demanding that he die, that he be killed. They wanted to stay ritually clean so they could take part in these feasts, the Passover feasts. And they didn't realize that they were in fact taking part in the killing of the true Passover lamb. And their blindness of their self-righteousness, the blindness of, of suppressing the truth and exchanging it for a lie, they are bringing Jesus Christ, the Messiah that they have proclaimed that they've been waiting for. They bring him before Pilate, hoping to murder him. Calvin, in his commentary here, notes, he says, they carried more pollution within their hearts than they could ever contract by entering a Gentile dwelling. But this is the very lie. They don't recognize their own corruption, their own pollution. So our self-righteousness blinds us from the light of the gospel in Christ. As I already mentioned, the, the whole trial has been 
fraudulent as they've uh, arrested Jesus in the middle of the night, kind of hurrying these trials along. They, as, as you consider the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and the whole account of the trials, it's clear that even as witnesses are bring, being called in, the witnesses aren't corroborating one another. At the end of the day, they don't really have any evidence to bring against Jesus until Jesus offers up that he's the son of God and then they charge him with blasphemy. But now they have to bring him before a Roman official who doesn't so much care about blasphemy. What trumped up charges are they going to bring? How are they going to convince the Roman governor that this man deserves the death penalty? And the reason for all of this the, the, there's some speculation around this, but it, it does seem, and most people land on this, is that as the Jews have been under uh, Roman control, that uh, authority of being able to carry out the death sentence has been taken away from them. Normally, for, blasphemy, for someone to blaspheme against God, they would haul them out of the city and stone them. But Jesus, because they don't have the power to execute him, they, they bring Jesus before Pilate. It says the Jewish authorities, uh, in verse, verses 29 through 30, we read that the, the Jewish authorities bring um, Jesus to Pilate and their thought process is, well, he's already given us soldiers to go arrest him. So he's just going to kind of rubber stamp the execution. It's a given. But they come, they come to Pilate and there's this, this kind of funny exchange where Pilate says, okay, what accusation do you bring against this man? And they're like, well, we've already been through this. You've already given us your soldiers. And they respond, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Years ago, feels like a lifetime ago, I was a police officer. And when I'd make an arrest, I'd have to bring the, the person I arrested, I'd have to write up a report, and I'd, I'd have to take it to the sergeant in charge and say, hey, this is what he's being, this is what I'm charging him with. And I'd have to show the elements of the charge. So they look it over. And especially as a young officer, you're hoping that it's approved. You, you, you hate to see, uh, have the sergeant say, okay, well, you're charging him with this. What are the elements of that? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. I failed. I didn't clearly outline the elements of the charge. I needed to outline those. So it's like, okay, yes, you can arrest this man. You can put him in jail pending uh, pending the judicial system outcome. But the Jewish authorities here, when Pilate says, well, what are the accusations? And it's this kind of backward reasoning. They say, well, we wouldn't bring him to you if we didn't have charges against him, if, if what he's done isn't evil, if he weren't evil. Pilate doesn't let that fly. So he kind of throws it back at them knowing that they're seeking Jesus' life. He says, fine, take him yourselves. Judge him by your own law. 
This is where the Jews say this. It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. As I mentioned, as you have this scene, you have the Jewish authorities and the Gentile authorities going back and forth. We have to remember Jesus standing there. Jesus is standing there and we wonder what might be going on, but, but John gives us a little snippet just to help us, to, to bring us back to remember what exactly is going on. Verse 32, he says, this was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Anytime we see in scripture this statement of, of God's word being fulfilled, it is something that's supposed to draw in us confidence and assurance that God is working through these things. Even through something like this, where the kingdom of man is hauling the very son of God before Pilate to be executed, to be murdered. Even in this, John says, hey, but remember, God's got this. This is all part of God's plan. Jesus had said, as recorded in Matthew 20, to his disciples, he says, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. This is all God working through the details of history to bring Jesus Christ, the Passover lamb, our Messiah, our Savior, to die on a Gentile cross. So that Paul says in Galatians that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree which is from Deuteronomy 21. Jesus is becoming a curse for us. So even in the sinfulness of man, God is accomplishing his purpose, his purpose. So then Pilate goes into his headquarters and brings, has Jesus come to him and asks him this question, are you the king of the Jews? Luke tells us that this was a charge that the people brought before Pilate. It says, they, they tell Pilate, we found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar, which if you remember the story, when they challenged him that if they should pay their taxes, and Jesus gives the beautiful line, render under Caesar the things that are Caesar's and under God the things, unto God the things that are God's. So even that was a lie. And they say, and, he was, and he's saying that he himself is Christ, a king. So Pilate is asking, are you claiming kingship over these Jews? Are you a threat to Rome? This reminded me of... of the scene in, in Joshua where Joshua and the, the, the people of Israel are about to go and, and have their battle with Jericho, marching around and knocking the walls down. But before the battle, Joshua run in, runs into the commander of the king's army 
which very likely is a pre-incarnate Christ because Joshua bows down to worship him. Any angel would forbid a man from worshiping him. The commander doesn't. In fact, the commander says, take off your shoes for you're on holy ground. But Joshua says, are you for us or are you against us? And the commander of the army says, no. (laughs) No, I'm neither for you nor against you. I'm the commander of the Lord's army. And this is how Jesus replies. He doesn't deny he's a king, but he says, no, in essence. My kingdom is not of this world. I'm not, I'm not a, a king of the Jews in the sense that you're asking me. I'm not a king here to usurp the authority of Rome. My kingdom is not of this world. He overcomes the world not by force of arms, but by his death. He says, for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Okay, so if his kingdom isn't won by force, by by strength and power of arms, which is clear when he told Peter to put away his sword, well, how is his kingdom won? How, How are citizens ushered into the kingdom of Christ? Well, it's by the preaching and believing the truth. And specifically, as, I, as we began this morning, the truth about Christ. This is what Paul says in Romans 10. How shall they hear? And he speaks about the preaching of the word of Christ. Don Carson, in his commentary, says, Jesus' kingship is indistinguishable from his testimony to the truth. And his followers are characterized by allegiance to his testimony. So you have this kind of mini trial of sorts as, as Pilate is determining if there's guilt in Christ. And as we'll see next week, he declares Jesus not guilty. We'll find out next week how Jesus still ends up crucified. But it's this interesting kind of turn of events as, as Pilate brings Jesus in to, uh, to privately question him. And he says, are you the king? Jesus does what he seems to always do. Throughout John, throughout the Gospels, you see all these mini trials taking place as the Jewish authorities send people to challenge Jesus and to to try to get him to slip up. And they ask him these questions. Like, are we supposed to pay taxes to Caesar? Those sort of questions. And Jesus always responds with a question. Jesus turns the tables. And here, as Pilate, the one who is supposed to Uh, be holding the trial over Christ. He asks Jesus a question and Jesus turns and asks him a question. Did, are you asking me this question because of something you've been told or just kind of on, on your own whim? Is this something that you're asking me? And the trial in a sense turns 
And as Jesus is declaring the truth about his kingdom, that his kingdom is not of this world, but his kingdom is one of truth, truth about the very person and work of Christ, Pilate offers up testimony that condemns him. Not Jesus, but condemns Pilate. Where he asks in a rhetorical tone, what is truth? Well, Jesus just said, everyone who, was, who is of the truth listens to my voice. This is like what he said earlier in John, my sheep hear my voice. They listen to me. Well, Pilate in this statement is saying, yeah, what, what is truth? And he walks out. Well, it's a, I think it's important for us to kind of take the rhetorical tone away from that question and grapple with it today for ourselves. What is truth? Because that answer very much helps, is, is a litmus test for you to know what kingdom you are a part of. Are you part of the kingdom of man who is continuing in this rebellion against its creator? Or are you part of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ? Are you turning to him? Are you seeking, and rather than making a no, name for yourself, are you seeking to make much of his name? Are you seeking to praise and worship him? Are you seeking to glorify him? Again, it's not a question of kind of just intellectual knowledge. It's not, it's not an assent to, yes, two plus two equals four. And unfortunately, a lot of the time in our, current, uh, in our current culture, we are boiling down the, the embrace of truth to, to things such as, as that. And don't get me wrong, Jesus takes delight in the truth. Jesus is the God of truth. Jesus is against lies. But a simple assent to intellectual truth and the things that we observe of nature does not save us. The question about truth that we have to grapple with is do we believe as John's purpose statement says, do we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? We can hold to all those other things and be right. But if we don't submit ourselves to the kingship of Christ in the sense of recognizing that, yes, he is King of kings and Lord of lords. Yes, he is the Son of God. He is the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. And most importantly, He is my Passover Lamb. He is the one that I have my hope and comfort and confidence and assurance in, knowing that it is not my self-righteousness that saves me, but it is His righteousness. It is His death on the cross that has rescued me, paying the penalty for all, this, all of my sin and wretchedness. That is what the truth is. Are we comfortable speaking in the terms that Christ himself speak, spoke in, saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life? 
in that exclusive sense? Do we embrace that? No, that we can't say that there are many ways to, Christ, to God. It is through Jesus, the truth of Christ, that we come to God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. John writes in his epistle, 1 John, chapter 5. He says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. As we spoke about in Sunday school this morning, when I recognize and love God, then I also recognize I recognize that God is good, his commandments are good. I can embrace his commandments as good and delight in his commandments. If I love God, I will love his commandments. And his commandments, John continues, are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Do we belong to the kingdom of man or Christ's kingdom? Do we embrace him as truth, the very essence of truth, or do we reject him and rebel against him? Well, as we come to the Lord's Supper this morning. This is, this is that opportunity as a household of faith where we together enjoy these elements and celebrate the Lord's death until he comes again. And it is a celebration of the very truth that we've been talking about this morning. It's a celebration where we declare that even in our frailties, even in the many times that we doubt the things that God has told us to be true. He is faithful. He is just. He is worthy of all our praise. And we come and celebrate this table in recognition of that, where we are embracing Jesus Christ as the truth. We take it together in communion, in harmony with one another, celebrating the fact that when we have that faith in Christ, we are taking it as citizens of his kingdom. That we are not part, we are no longer part of the kingdom of the world. We are pilgrims passing through the world, but this world is not our home. We are longing like Abraham was longing for a heavenly kingdom. And we take this meal in light of the fact that we will one day celebrate that wonderful feast in the presence of our Savior. So as we come before the Lord's Supper, if, if you're here this morning and, and you don't embrace the truth of who Jesus Christ is, that he is the Son of God, that he is the Messiah, that he is 
your sacrificial lamb that is your, can be your only hope and comfort in life and death, if you don't embrace that, you, you're, you don't believe that yet, then please, please allow these elements to pass by you as we serve them. And we say that just because we don't want you to be confused. This meal does not save you. This is a celebration of what we firmly believe is the salvation that has been purchased for us by Christ. We don't want you to eat, eat this in an unworthy manner as, as someone who thinks that you can embrace the world and embrace God's kingdom. It doesn't work that way. We want you to know that even through your weaknesses and frailties, that if you have faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, then you are welcome to this table. Let's pray and, and we'll take it together. Father, I just pray that you would uh, help us in a, in a passage like this today as, as we see your son in his humility submitting himself to these worldly authorities as you through your providence are leading him to the cross. Father, we just pray that you'd help us just to celebrate that through your grace and mercy you have ushered us into your kingdom through faith in your son, Jesus Christ. Help us to celebrate that. Help us as we enjoy these elements together, the Lord's Supper, help us to recognize that we stand here not uh, because of anything that we have done, but we stand here completely because of what your son has done for us. Help us to celebrate this today with hearts full of joy and gratitude for what you have done for us through your son. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this audio presentation from Community Bible Church. For more information, please visit us at 6005 Edmondson Pike in Nashville, Tennessee, or online at cbcnashville.org.